This is Gene MacDonald, the Midlife Midwife. Here is another audio track to help women with the different issues which affect and afflict us during our midlife transition and beyond. As you will have heard me say, I recognize that midlife women are the busiest women on the planet. They don't have time to watch long videos or read long articles. So we offer our longer items on audio tracks like this, so you can listen to them on your phone as you do other things. If you want to see and hear about the full range of support we provide for midlife women, visit us at www.midlifebutterflyclub.org and start by looking at our online magazine. In the meantime, I hope you find useful and enjoyable this audio track. Hello, this is Jean MacDonald, the midlife woman's friend and mentor. And this is number four, or the fourth episode in my talks about midlife women. And today I've given the title, um, The Future is Feminine, But Good Men Can Play Too. Now, I've mentioned it's a controversial title because what I'm going to be talking about is a very controversial subject. And my views are only my views. I'm exposing them to you in the hope that something will resonate and we can take things forward from there. So firstly, let's deal with uh, the gender issues that are around this thing of why why putting in there the future is feminine and apparently excluding men but i've made the point of saying that they are included if they're up to it uh is controversial because we have a war of the genders uh which has been going on for three thousand years actually um with the 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 masculine being the dominant one throughout that period so Male attitudes, unfortunately, are passed on generation to generation from older men to younger ones that disadvantage women and children. And it's been done, done as I said, for 3,000 years as late, at least as far as we know. Um, now, it's done the feminine down by the masculine, and it's really, to me, amazing that women have managed to survive at all with this both, um, local and institutionalized discrimination against them. In fact, this issue of survival is a serious thing that occurred to me is that when I attended the first Women's Equality Party conference a few years ago, at one point they put on the screen the names of all the women who had been murdered by their partner. I say murdered, I think it said killed, but because some of them might have been considered to be manslaughter, um, killed by their partner in that year so far. And the list went on and on and on. And in case you think this is all in localized to certain ethnic communities, the names were of all sorts and plenty fully uh, local British names. So it's not any particular group in our society. It's pretty widespread. So it's not meant to be like this. At a metaphysical level, there are two elements, masculine and feminine. And they, when they are supposed to combine and balance to provide a creative force. And that creative force is manifest in men and women, but they only use it really to set to create babies and families. They could, if they work together rather than being in competition or in embattled, they could build civilizations. 
And that's what I hope we might be starting to move to move towards, excuse me. So the progress that we can see has been set back by certain examples. Um, I mean, I'll give you one which is really unbelievable. It's how long it's taken the Church of England to accept women bishops. And if I remember rightly, it was an equally long battle to get them even to accept women vicars. And yet, from everything which I shall be talking about, it's very probable that women make better bishops and better vicars than men on the whole. So uh, it's an indication of how institutionalized misogyny is in our society. That battle was fought in public, but there are many other battles going on behind closed doors, um, and we don't know how likely they are to come out the right way. Now, what progress can we see in recent years? Well, one of the visible examples is that um, uh, there has been the feminist movement. Not perfect, but it has started a process in the 70s and 80s. But at one stage, unfortunately, it went rather wrong. And that was because it accepted the precept, which probably came from the men, um, that for a woman to be equal, she had to behave in the same way as men. Now, as I shall say later on, that's uh, not valid, but they believed it. And as a result, during the 70s and 80s, you saw a lot of women obviously masculinizing themselves in order to feel that they could compete on equal terms with men. <sighs> well, in the same time, actually, uh, a guy, an American, wrote uh, a book called Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. That was John Gray. And the, the book uh, enjoyed um, brief uh, popularity, but was um, discredited by the feminists who said that um, it was giving the impression that women were not up to it. They were not up to the taking on the roles that were currently held by men. And I, I think many of those people hadn't even read the book because that was not what he was saying. And I did my best to try and uh, rehabilitate that in a video I did a little while ago, um, which is called Men, uh, how do I put it? Women and men are different. And that was the point John Gray was making. It's not a question of you have to be the same in order to be equal. You can be different and have equal opportunity. So uh, that is one of the issues that we've had to deal with. And uh, as a result, a lot of women frightened a lot of men. It may have done them some good, this masculinization in their professions or their careers, but in terms of their relationships, it uh, was counterproductive. So we can see some stellar examples of how women have taken, let's call it the reins of power. Um, we can see that some formidable women are working in the public service, in the voluntary sector, in um, the police, and um, also in politics. So far, don't think there's anything like as much progress in business, but that's why um, business is one of those closed doors jobs where the, 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 um, the institutionalized misogyny is invisible to the general public. What you do see is the poor results of these big companies, because if they had a group of women on their boards, their results would be better. And there are statistics to prove that businesses that have women on their boards, not just one token one, but a group of them do better than the ones who don't.
But let's go back to politics. It's dramatically obvious that women do, do a good job in that. We can see that among the prime ministers in Scandinavia, uh, also New Zealand, also Germany and Scotland. Now, women's style in leadership is to link, uh, is to look for agreement and cooperation. And uh, that's a reflection of their feminine skills. What I was going to say is women don't always have to be right when they're leadership positions just to prove they're capable to do the job. But because of their inclination to consult, cooperate, they won't be as wrong as many times as men are. Now, I wanted to quote Margaret Thatcher, just a short little quote that shows what she thought of women in, in positions of uh, power and influence as colleagues and supporters. And that was, she said, if I want something talked about, I'll ask a man. But if I want something done, I'll ask a woman. Now, when she said talked, she wasn't being disparaging. In politics, there's an awful lot of talking goes on to find out what opinions are like and uh, what the likelihood is of something being accepted. So it's a legitimate role. But in very interesting that when it came to getting things done, then that's when he went. she went to a woman. Now, we are looking not just for more women to take leadership roles. Of course, we want more of those. But we also want um, more supporters, colleagues, and um uh and supporters and colleagues um because women work best in groups in fact a group of women together on the same project is a formidable force i've seen that in, in the women's equality party and it is wonderful to see but i'm sure it happens in many other areas where there is a group of women working together and very often if the woman is a leader the leader is a woman uh, and she's the right kind of woman. She's quite self-effacing. She doesn't want to have the glory of being standing in front. Uh, and that's what gets better results. Unfortunately, women who are trapped in match organizations uh, and are on their own without, without this group tend to get sufficiently pressed into the culture that they start behaving in a macho way. Uh, that's not an excuse, but it's a reason why you do come across some women in um, in in power who are behaving remarkably like men. And also, if you go back to the 70s and 80s, that's where they got the culture from. One of the things that men do to discredit women and their capabilities is they call what they can do soft skills. And what they mean by that is that the hard skills, which are very macho, uh, are the ones that are valuable, the soft skills aren't. Well, the soft skills is what able, enables women to get such good results from other people because they are they are sympathetic, empathetic, and they they deal with other people um, looking for win-win uh, situations. So nobody is uh, cut out. And um, so those, those soft skills are a very, um, very important part of women's um, battery of weapons. And talking about weapons, I want to tell you a story I remember hearing at school, would you believe? And it was that um, in the time of the Crusades, supposedly, there was a rapprochement um, where the leaders of the two sides, the Crusaders and the Saracens, met 
for a social a social interaction and a meal, uh, presumably. Um, but certainly, while they were there, the conversation got round to weapons, and the uh, crusader said, "I will demonstrate our weapon." And he got his supporters to bring in a huge sword, it needed two hands to lift, and in addition, an iron bar. So they put the iron bar across two things, and then he struggled to get the, the, the sword above his head and bring it down with a crash and smash the iron bar. And then he turned to the Saracen leader and said, can your weapon do that? The Saracen leader didn't say anything. He just pulled out his thin scimitar, I think they're called, a thin bendy saw. And he got his um, supporters to um, bring him a cushion and stand it on the table. And then with one flick of the wrist, he sliced the cushion in two. And he turned to the crusader leader and said, can your weapon do that? So I take that as a very good example of the masculine and feminine weapons. And in terms of the skills necessary, we obviously need both because this competition between the, the sexes or the genders is very counterproductive and will not enable us to create the world we want. The, the encouraging thing that we can see today is that many groups of women are forming together to get things done in our society. I mentioned the Women's Equality Party, of which I am uh, not as active as I'd like to be a member, and I've seen them do tremendous things within the last five years. One forgotten cause they've adopted is women in the criminal justice system. Do you know there are women in prison for not paying their television license? Men don't get sent to prison for not paying their television license. So what's going on? There's clearly uh, discrimination against women in the criminal justice system. But who knew until the Women's Equality Party connected up with various pressure groups who used to know and have started to represent them. The interesting thing is that women come together to create these pressure groups, protest groups, and they access the power of lots of other women to become formidable and hopefully effective, but certainly in opening people's eyes to what's going on that disadvantage women and their children in our uh, mass, uh, misogynistic system. So how are we going to go about getting more effective midlife women into the arena? Well, the concept of the midlife woman is something which is quite new. I'm Although I wrote a book called Love, Sex and the Midlife Woman, I didn't invent the term midlife woman. It was originally, or I'd say it was originally, I came across it when Marianne Williamson wrote a book, which she published in 2008, called um, The Age of Miracles, Embracing the New Midlife. And she put this proposition that women now have this uh, window of 30, of 20 to 30 years between um, ceasing to be young women and becoming what would be called middle-aged women on the way to be elderly women. And this has been an extremely useful thing because this window, which has opened up for women, saves them. What used to happen, uh, lots of women used to make the very, uh, make very, very considerable efforts to hang on to the attributes that they felt kept them young and attractive. Well, into the 50s, they tried to because there was nowhere else to go. Once you ceased to become a young woman, or ceased to be seen as a young woman, you were inevitably seen as a middle-aged woman. 
now we have this gap, this 20 to 30 years for the midlife woman, which enables women to develop new roles and also sideline the issues to do with their sexuality. I see the midlife transition as an awakening activity. It's waking up from the fact that one was a young woman and doing all the things that were part of one's normal life then uh, into uh, a new uh, role. And I've likened this to the butterfly or the caterpillar going into a chrysalis and going through a process of change and then emerging. And it's not easy. Uh, a lot of effort is required of the creature inside the cocoon uh, called a chrysalis in order to break out and then start to uh, dry and spread its wings in order to become a butterfly, a beautiful butterfly usually. So in this process, I've identified a number of phases, the transition phases. The first one I call confusion and recognition. So midlife women start, or they don't know the midlife women at this point, because they're in the chrysalis. They start to realize that things in their life need changing, are changing, and certainly are getting very uncomfortable. The recognition is that they are starting on this midlife transition process, and that's a natural process, and that help and support are available to get them through it. The second stage I call understanding and coping. There are multiple issues that women have to deal with not least the menopause, but that's by no means the whole story. These other issues come at different times and make this midlife transition very challenging. So during that time, if once women understand them, they then go through a process of saying, this is something I can change, this is something I can't change. And it gives them considerable um, comfort to know that um, they are on a journey and that eventually all the issues can be handled. In the third one, Women have a lot more, reach the stage where they have more control of their lives. I call this one control and experimentation. So they can take some of the big issues in their life that need changing and do that. And also have time, space and money to be able to experiment with things they always wanted to do to see if that represents something they would want to um, make a career of or um, a passion. And then the, the fourth stage I call purpose and passion and this is when the midlife woman having broken three of all the old things that held her back uh, is now able to find her purpose and with it her passion so those are the four stages in this transition and um what i hope we can do is increase the awareness among women who are starting on that journey that this is a natural process because the alternative is to say this is a midlife crisis and um, without understanding what's going on it probably will be. So I told a story in the first episode about a, a chrysalis struggling to break free and a butterfly flying past and um, seeing this chrysalis floated down, landed by the chrysalis and whispered to the chrysalis, don't worry, you will break out of this and you will become a beautiful butterfly and you'll be free to go wherever you want. So there's a role for us both uh, in, in being um, a chrysalis, if that's we're going through the process, or a butterfly, if we've completed the process and want to help other women going through it. Why wouldn't we? So what have I done and what would I consider you might like to do to help midlife women through this process? Well, after publishing my book, Love, Sex and the Midlife Woman, well, I've got a copy here, have a look. That's what it looks like. 
Um, having published that book, I then started the New Midlife Women Community as a Facebook group in order to help and support midlife women. Uh, but subsequently, I realized that there were lots of midlife women groups emerging. A uh, very good thing, too, because it's all spreading the word. Um, but I was only um, really a pale shadow of the better ones of those because I'm not a natural social media animal. And therefore, um, I really couldn't uh, couldn't do it as well as they could. So what I decided to do is look at what my role could be. And I realized that having been a teacher most of my life, um, I uh, would like to use my skills in education in order to help midlife women on their journey. And so I over the years, or recent years since I did the book, it's only three years, I've produced educational material, found inspirational quotes and references, and many and made uh, encouraging videos to help women understand what is happening to them and how to help them cope better. Some of the titles are uh, Men and Women Are Different, as I, told, as I mentioned earlier, um, Changing Gender Roles in the 21st Century, Divine Feminine and Masculine, Can There Ever Be Peace Between the Sexes, Seven Reasons Why You May Not Be Attracting the Partner of Your Dreams, and Seven Steps to Surviving the Midlife Crisis. The one thing, however, that I know about the midlife women is that they are the busiest people on the planet and they don't have much time to study stuff or really get involved in traditional learning uh, study methods. So I've devised this drip drip method, which means that they get small pieces of information every few days, uh, which don't take long to consume, but gradually change their awareness and their thinking. And then after that comes changing attitudes and changing attitudes comes changing behavior and changing behavior produces changed results. So that's a process I hope to do. And I've put all this together in a program called Discover the Midlife Woman Within. There is, however, a problem. That is that uh, the women I feel I can most help who are starting this transition do not realize that they are starting on the midlife woman transition. In, they, in fact, they probably have never even heard the term midlife woman. So it's, uh, it makes it quite difficult to get them to self-identify, to realize what I, I or we have to offer them um, is what they need. So I've come up with this idea that uh, people like therapists, coaches, uh, consultants, other helping people, women, are uh, encountering lots of midlife women or potential midlife women in the course of their work. And so if they introduce them to some of the ideas that I'm uh, putting out through the Discover the Midlife Women program, it will start them in their interest and encourage them to join the program. So there is a role for all of us in this midlife woman movement, which I believe is capable of changing the world, changing our society, start local, changing our local society, changing our national society, and eventually moving to change some other societies that are in badly, badly in need of our help. And this is really supported by something that I heard the Dalai Lama said around about 2009, I think it was at a peace conference. He says, the future of our world is dependent on the Western woman. The future of our world is dependent on the Western woman. 
And I've rather added to that by saying, well, younger women are pretty busy on their forming their partnerships, having children, creating a home and doing all that that uh, necessary work. And it's good that they do because we need the people. But uh, they don't really have much time, uh, with a few exceptions, to look outside that at the bigger picture and the outside uh, opportunities that need to change things. However, once women reach midlife, they do have those things. And um, therefore, I would like to add to what the Dalai Lama said, said that the future of our society and our civilization is dependent on the Western midlife woman. I hope the Dalai Lama doesn't mind. I'll have to write to him and ask him. So there we are. This is the, the role that's available to us uh, to be the butterflies who become butterflies. We know we've been through a midlife transition and we uh, are able, therefore, to empathize with women who are just starting on the process. The fact that they're confused and don't have the idea, any idea what's happening to them. And they're not necessarily that ready to listen initially because they're so busy and so preoccupied. But uh, that's why the role of a third person alongside them can help me and us move them towards understanding and the process of making this midlife transition easier for them. I call this, I think I said, the drip drip method. So I've just about come to the end of it. My final invitation, would you like to be a butterfly, aka midlife woman, who helps other midlife women on their journey? If so, you can contact me at gene at lovemidlifewoman.com or you can go straight to Facebook and join our Facebook community, which is called New Midlife Woman Community, which is a group, so you, you join it. And um, if you want to know more about um, what I've been talking about, how you could help, and uh, especially through the Discover the Midlife Woman Within program, then you can email me. Oh, I've just given you my email address, have gene at lovemidlifewoman.com. And I will always happy to see you uh, on Facebook in my personal profile, which is Jean MacDonald UK. So I've gambled through a lot of material today. Uh, I was anxious, as you see, looking up to look at my notes. I didn't leave anything out of importance. Uh, and I hope it's given you an impression of the way I see our world moving, the contribution that I can make and hopefully the contribution that you can make. So until we next talk, this is Jean MacDonald, the Midlife Women's Friend and Mentor, signing off for today. Bye. Thank you for listening to the end of this podcast. I hope you got some useful tips that you can apply in your own life. If you want more information, guidance and inspiration, visit us at www midlifebutterflyclub.org and check out our online magazine. In the meantime, this is Jean MacDonald, the Midlife Midwife, signing off till next time. Bye.